You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and you can also see what they pay the stipend the hourly rate all of that i'm a travel nurse now with trusted health and i absolutely love working for them so go to trustedhealth.com be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of true crime mixed with talking about nursing and healthcare and always advocating for nurses and other healthcare workers all over the world whenever they need us. And this week we have an extra special show planned for you because one of our own is definitely in need of our help. So this entire episode is going to be dedicated to bringing awareness to domestic violence and specifically the criminalization of survivors of domestic abuse. So our bad nurse story is going to be a difficult one to discuss and to hear. It is just, this is sort of a a trigger warning for you. If it's something you you might want to skip, if this is something that is a little too much for you, but it's going to be a a horrifying story out of the uh, United Kingdom and it's not only going to contain sensitive information about domestic abuse, but also sexual abuse. So just keep that in mind. It's not going to be an easy episode, but we want to bring awareness to all of these issues and to something that I think you guys are going to be really surprised about. And I think you're going to be as outraged as I am when you hear this. So please stick around after our bad nurse story for the good nurse segment, because I, I kind of tease you guys a little bit. I know you, you know, some of you only listen to the true crime portion and uh, we laugh about that every now and then but today I I really would like for you to stick around those of you who bail on me and don't want to stick around for the good nurse story please stay we have a very special guest the daughter of a nurse practitioner who we actually told you about several episodes ago she's going to be here and help us understand what her mother has gone through what she's still going through and so please stick around for that it's going to be really special and now I'd like to welcome my guest host this week is Nurse Keith. He is back to host the show again, finally. Hey, Nurse Keith, welcome back. Hey, Tina, thanks for having me. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays. It is. Thank just, you. Yeah, it's we're literally recording this on Christmas Eve Eve. So it's really good to have you back. I appreciate you. You're such Thank an you. inspiration. I don't know. You just help inspire me to get started in podcasting, listening to your podcasts and I remember how nervous I was on your podcast. Even even when you came on Good Nurse Bad Nurse, I was I was so nervous. I was really new, and so I just really appreciate you. And I'm, it's really nice having you back when I feel like I have I'm a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I know a little bit more about what I'm doing. I still feel like you, know, you do. You know, I what feel you're like doing, an imposter. Keith. You're doing great. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Thank you're doing you. Great. Thanks, Keith. I yeah. appreciate that. Well, I guess we can get started with this bad nurse story. Might as well just get through it. 
these stories are not easy to tell, but we like to shine a light in the darkness and we don't like to just bury our head in the sand and pretend like this stuff doesn't happen because it does. And we can't change these things if we don't, if you don't know about them, if we don't talk about them, if you're not brave enough, you know, and courageous enough to just sit up and notice what's going on and try to do something about it. So this is the story of Brent Mott, a nurse from Merseyside. This has happened over the, across the pond in the United Kingdom. Brent was 32 at the time. His wife, Kate, was 35. She was also a nurse. And the two had kind of reached a point in their marriage that they were looking, uh, it was looking like they were headed toward divorce. So one night, January 21st, 2010. Now, this is Brent's side of the story of what happened, mind you. But a physical altercation erupted between the two, and he claims that he had been he came home after being out and then kate lunged at him with a peeler knife because they got in an argument over the divorce he says that everything that happened after that was because of you know self defense he was defending himself against her so he said kate fell on their marble fireplace hearth and hit her head during the, the scuffle and he he trying to get the knife away from her and then he lost all self-control and later on he would tell the police that he strangled his wife with her pajama top while their two young children slept upstairs it gets only darker from here but it's really bad it's hard to talk about or he told you guys it was going to be but when you involve children doesn't it just break your heart even more you know it's sad enough to think of someone going through something like this and it's hard to understand but absolutely and for me you know as as a man who's been married and also been divorced and i i understand that emotions get triggered in relationships you know that's that's normal it's par for the course in relationships and i it just seems to me from observation of the culture and society over time that it's generally men who are the ones who lose their temper and and create situations where they're um, perpetrating violence. And, you know, it's not every single time, but men have more of the proclivity towards towards violence than women in my in my estimation. And I've never really been able to understand <laughs> the male psyche, even as a man. The you know, as as someone, as a man who's never been in a fight, never struck another person in my life, even as a child, I, it's just, it's a hard thing for me to, to fathom. And I feel like there's a responsibility in relationship to, to be as respectful as possible, even when we're under duress. And I really feel there's, there's never an excuse for resorting to violence in these sorts of situations. Now, this is not, we're not talking about a woman defending herself against a male attacker. That's another situation. But in general, this proclivity of men towards violence is something that's haunted society for for millennia. And it's honestly perplexing and puzzling to me and very, very, very troubling to me as a man. And it's something I still grapple with in terms of understanding. And it's they're very upsetting situations and they're they're just hard to digest. And and you're right. I, I think it's good that you bring these situations to light 
because we need to we need to look at this stuff, you know, square in the face because it's part of who we are as a society. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's bad enough to kind of think about what we said just happened, but then he at this point proceeds to meticulously redress his wife and then put her in to their car, drove her to a field. He put a bottle of vodka and some pain medications, like a whole bottle, I guess, into the car with Kate. And this is pain medication that she had been prescribed before. I, th- I, f- I feel like people, you know, you, you get an injury or you get a, a tooth, you know, tooth uh, pulled or something, I don't know, and they give you pain medicine. And so you have it in your cabinet. You know, it's not like she had a problem with pain medicine, but she had it there. It was in her name. And so he put that in the car to make it look like, you know, she had been under the influence. Then he basically just beat up the car to make it look like, or in his mind somehow, make it look like it had been in an accident. He thought somehow that he would be able to fool the police by doing this. He busted the windshield, you know, that sort of thing. And start sending text messages to Kate's phone, making you know, like, where are you? And as if he, you know, didn't know where she was, and he was concerned. Called her mother, and wanting to know if she knew where she was, called the police, and then let them know. You know, she's—I don't know where she is—and and she's possibly suicidal. So just putting that thought into their, you know, their head that way. They come across, he knows they're going to come across her car eventually. And then maybe they'll just, oh, he said she was suicidal. Here's vodka. Here are pills. She's been in this accident. Let's just keep on moving and not even consider. But law enforcement, as we say on this podcast, they tend to be a little bit smarter than that sometimes. But <laughs> sometimes they're not. I mean, sometimes they're they're all people. But sometimes they come across a situation like that, and it's kind of obvious to anybody anyone would look at this situation and so they knew that it was suspicious they knew immediately of course to look at the spouse as we also also say on this podcast that's the first place they're going to look is the, the significant other or the spouse so they interviewed him over the course of several days he maintained that he wasn't responsible for her death and then they confront him with overwhelming evidence and so then he decides to change his story and he admitted that he killed his wife but he said he didn't murder her so his story though just completely fell apart you know he tells this whole story that we set outlined in the beginning of the episode and that is because he had no choice he realized well I I have to admit so he comes up with that story of what happened but then when the autopsy comes back it revealed that the cause of death death was strangulation but the ligature marks were not conducive to a pajama top. So they, they don't know what kind of object it was, but it was obvious to them that it wasn't an, a pajama top. Now, why he didn't want to admit what he actually used, I don't know. But I would assume that it must have been obvious that he de- it was deliberate and thought out because of whatever it was he used must have been maybe not readily available and he would have had to bring it with him. I don't know. So otherwise, why would you lie about that? It just makes no sense to me. But it did, the autopsy did reveal that Kate was raped shortly, either before or after her death. And 
he admits that they did have, according to him, a sexual relationship, but that it was consensual. But the judge quickly dismissed that, and he said, you know, Kate was a, an intelligent woman. She's going through a divorce, and the idea that she's going to engage in a, a consensual sexual relationship, you know, right in the middle of all of this, not really uh, probably true. He just didn't think that made a whole lot of sense. The thing is, uh, this as the way it usually is, there's a backstory. There's some things that happened before all of this, and Brent and Kate sought professional help in reconciling their marriage when it became apparent that Brent was, quote, obsessed with sex. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career, and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis, so now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC-free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Brent had cited a lack of physical intimacy as the the primary reason for the problems in their relationship. So after the 
apparently after the first birth of their first child, he initiated many unwelcome advances to Kate to the point of constantly pestering her. Upon arriving home from the hospital after the birth of their son, Brent thought it would be appropriate to welcome his wife home with adult books and novelties. So then a few months following the birth of their second child, Brent confided into a coworker that Kate often refused to engage in physical intimacy and called her frigid. So in the divorce paperwork, Kate revealed that there was frequent sexual abuse within their marriage. And at one point during her marriage to Brent, Kate turned to the assistance of the police there in Merseyside. She had requested a non-molestation order. And I'm assuming that's like a order of protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most likely. Sometimes when we do these overseas stories, the verbiage gets a little, but that's what I would assume that that is. And they dismissed it. They said, this is just a typical case of adults quarreling over divorce proceedings. So... A police officer told her to advise her solicitor, I know that's an attorney because I have done a few of these stories and I remember that one, but told her to advise her solicitor of her concerns and failed to gather pertinent information about the incident, such as even her, it didn't even take her husband's name. So just didn't take her seriously at all. They didn't make any checks on Brent Mott, nothing. They just didn't take it seriously, Keith. I don't understand it. And this, I mean, I, this was in 2010. It wasn't that long ago. I, we all know what women go through. And, and we all know that people are always, oh, I know I am usually screaming from the rooftop, rooftops, you know, get help. You know, please don't stay in an abusive relationship. You hear this all the time. And then someone's literally trying to do the right thing. And this is what happens. These situations always bring me back to this, this notion of how we blame the victim, first of all, and how we don't pay attention to women's cries for help. And I don't know the statistics because this isn't something that I research or you probably know more about this than I do. The The number of times women are actually rebuffed by police or when their their requests for restraining orders aren't, aren't honored or aren't given any weight. And the ways in which women struggle to be understood and actually to be heard in terms of what their struggles actually are in relationships. And it also, aside from the, the, the legal issues, you know, the jurisprudence of it, it also, again, I, I tend to think big picture. I like pulling the camera back on, on any situations. It's just sort of the way I think I like to look at the details, but then I like to look at, at context and again, this is building on what I shared earlier, being a man and not really understanding men <laughs> to a large extent. This, this also, these types of situations and this situation specifically, especially when it came to light that, you know, he felt sexually frustrated and they had, you know, they had these issues in their relationship, however accurate these issues really were that he was describing you know, this again, this was his perspective on it, of course. And this underscores for me again, this, 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 it's beyond a concept. To me, it's really a reality of the unhealed nature of masculinity in many cultures. I'm not going to say every culture, because I think there are cultures possibly where they, they might be more matriarchal, where, where women hold more power, et cetera. So I'm not going to say every culture in every society. But men's lack of 
self-awareness, self-consciousness, emotional intelligence, relational and behavioral intelligence, their, their lack of healing around their sexuality, their ability to control their temper, their ability to conduct themselves appropriately in relationships, and to, to seek to truly understand their partner. And I don't make excuses for these men at all. And it also makes me look at, okay, so what are the what are the generational patterns that continue to get handed down? And this is not to make excuses for the men's behavior. However, it also makes me pull the camera back and think like, what's, what's going on here? Generation after generation after generation. Why does this not change over the generations? What's wrong? And I think there's, there's an unhealed nature of masculinity in Western culture specifically that I think it it comes home to roost here in domestic relationships, and women tend to very, very largely bear the brunt of that lack of healing. Does that does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. And you know, one thing that that I always think of, I do a lot of research, obviously, for these stories that I do on mm-hmm. bad things that happen to people. And so, what I'm usually looking for, because for the true crime portion of the Badner story, I'm looking for nurses who've done something bad, right? So do you know that whenever I am trying to find stories of nurses doing bad things, that, I mean, they're out there, obviously, and I do doctor stories and everything. They're they're out there. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of them, unfortunately. But what I tend to find, and I have to weed through, are stories of bad things happening to nurses because nursing is a female-dominated profession. And so whenever Mm -hmm. I'm looking for... And this is terrible because my, you know, my search feed, if you look at my Google searches, I would I'd probably be arrested because I'm constantly looking up like nurse kills husband, nurse kills, but you know, that sort of thing. And it you can't, you have to know your how to do your filters in Google because I would I would run out of stories to do. I have to filter through all the ones of literally men doing bad things to women or Mm-hmm. Because the, it's mostly nurses being killed by men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it, it yes. just is the vast majority. I believe. I completely believe that. Pages. Let Absolutely. me tell you. Pages, mm-hmm. pages, and pages. Uh, because I'm looking at cities. I'm going into the cities of all of the states, all over, and then other countries, and it's it absolutely boggles my mind at how frequent this happens that men and 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 i do plenty of stories about women doing things you know bad things also obviously i'm not saying we're perfect but i'm telling you without having numbers for research you know and and and, uh, you know all of the data i just know from my own personal searching through google looking for stories that it is unbelievable the number of times men go after women when they're trying when their their spouse or significant other significant other is trying to leave them it mm-hmm. is horrifying i am telling you it is so scary and we also know the stories of women who've tried to leave their abusers and have not been able to for various reasons often because they're trying to protect their children or trying to keep the children from being caught up in you know worse situations and we also know that that what we call restraining orders here in the United States, that they often don't work anyway, because it's it's really just a piece of paper. And 
again, when I, when I look from a bird's eye view at the situation, I just see, I see the, the societal scourge and it makes me question what we're doing wrong as a society and men need to be held accountable for their actions, you know, individually. And then we also have to look at the collective and I don't want to get off, take us off on a tangent, but when we look at mass shootings in the United States, of which we have more than I would like to say, and we all know how many there are, how many mass shootings in the United States are perpetrated by women? So if we, if we look at that in terms of unhealed masculinity and the proclivity towards violence, I mean, doesn't that tell us a big something there? Men feeling the need to use violence to process their emotions or and to control. I mean, I I do believe it is about control. The these men, it's as if they would power. rather. Yes, it's all about power. It's they would rather throw their life away. They would literally rather die than to let a woman mm-hmm. somehow get go free from them and them not have power over them. It just it it blows my it blows me away. I just have to wonder how could you just give up your freedom why can't you just let that person walk away why can't you just let them be who they want to be and you go be who you want to be but they can't let go of the power they have to have control it's all about control it's not about love i've said that a million times on this podcast has nothing to do with love it's all about power and control they want to control the other person and it, it's, it's uh, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm very outraged and very upset about it. And the story that we're going to be getting into here in a little bit, I have a hard time controlling my emotions about it just because it's, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating on so many levels. This story is frustrating too. You know, she tried, this woman tried to reach out. She tried to get an order of protection. Maybe it would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't have, but she was trying to get away. But she, and she, she said she was very disappointed. And she was very let down at the way that the whole thing was happened. Uh, you know, the whole thing went down. Law enforcement later issued a public apology that her distress call wasn't appropriately handled and advised that additional training was conducted in the department following Kate's death. I hope that's true. I, I hope it's true. I hope something good came out of it. We can hope that lessons are learned from situations like this, and maybe they are, maybe they're not. But the fact that they came public about it you know, I, I would love to see some follow up on what changed within that police department. But we also have to think of, you know, how many police departments are there in the UK, for instance? And does this particular case have repercussions? And do other police departments follow suit? We don't know that either. But that's that's always a question is if what we call here, you know, the blue wall of silence, you know, does change actually occur? you know, systemically. And again, I, sorry, I keep going back to systemic issues, but I, but I look at things in that way. And, and we wonder what change actually, actually occurs. Yes. And we're going to, again, we're going to get into some systemic problems in the, in the good nurse story when we get to that, because it's uh, once again, on so many levels, there, there there's so many injustices and that we're going to talk about. And just to wrap this story up, Brent was convicted of his wife's murder in August of 2010 and sentenced to a minimum of 25 years in prison. So that, you know, sadly is how that had to end. Their children now have no parents. You know, their their dad is gone and and their mother is gone. And so that's how that story ends. And that's how, unfortunately, a lot of stories end that are very much like this. I mean, really just typical family. I know he had some issues. But for, you know, could he have gotten help? Could she have gotten help? 
the, the whole thing, there has to be a better way of doing this. I will say, if there is anyone out there right now who is in a situation like this, please get help. Please reach out. And before you do anything, there are programs out there that can help you to navigate through the system and to know there are people who deal with these situations all the time. They deal with victims of domestic violence. And so they really, there's no perfect way to, to get out of the situation. There's no guarantee that, that, that something bad isn't going to happen. But there is, I guess, best practice, maybe, or evidence-based, what is the best way how, you know, to handle it? It is ncadv.org. It's the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And it's Voice of Victims, Home for Advocates, a, a national organization that helps people who are going through this sort of thing, and they can help you navigate through that. So if you want to go to that website, if you're having this sort of problem, they might be able to help you know what to do. I know one thing that I've heard experts say, and that's that you can't just, you know, break away. Usually you have to have a plan in place. It's always important to have a plan in place of what you're going to do. So um, I don't pretend to be an expert in that. And I don't want, I don't want to, I don't like giving advice when I haven't done, you know, research and know exactly what I'm talking about. And I haven't in this case, I don't know all of the specifics. So I want to just send you there to that website and we'll put a link to that website on our website so that you could go to goodnursebadnurse.com and get, get it from there if, if you need that. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. I guess that brings us to our good nurse story. I am excited about 
getting to do this story because it's one that we previously did an episode on, Tracy McCarter. Tracy is a nurse practitioner in New York, and we did tell you that we were going to be monitoring this ongoing. And we were informed by her community defense team that while we got most of the points right, there were a couple of things that we got wrong. And so they were just reaching out to say, hey, here's a couple of articles that contain the most accurate information. And so I thought, hey, let's go back and revisit that, maybe get you caught up for those who maybe didn't hear the first one or just kind of refresh your memory. So I want to tell you what happened. And then we have Tracy's daughter who's going to be joining us to try to basically just tell us what's going on with the case right now and what we can do to help her. So Tracy McCarter was a travel nurse who relocated from San Antonio to New York City. In the fall of 2014, she was really excited about her new travel nursing assignment. I totally get that. I'm a travel nurse. I've been I've just started doing that earlier this year. I I get I know the feeling. It's just it's exciting. You know, you get to go to a new city. She had a new friend, James Murray, who was going to be an unofficial tour guide and help her navigate the city. She had pre- previously met him back in Texas and then they dated after meeting online. Their relationship blossomed once they were in New York and she started telling friends that she thought he was her soulmate and they got married. The marriage, however, started to sour because uh, Murray developed a fondness for alcohol and became physically abusive toward Tracy. So they ultimately separated in the summer of 2019. This is pretty recent. It's a very recent story because things had escalated. Things had gotten more violent in the relationship. So, Murray repeatedly kicked, struck, and choked Tracy McCarter. At the time of the separation, Murray's drinking and violent outbursts escalated despite many rehab attempts. So in March of 2020, an inebriated Murray sought out McCarter at her apartment in the Upper West Side as he had locked himself out of his Airbnb apartment. The court documents reported that Murray demanded money from Tracy for purchasing more alcohol. And I remember that from the initial story. She's saying he was like, give me more money. I want to go get more alcohol. And her saying, no, I'm not going to do that. So he became physically aggressive and assaulted her. So she picked up a knife in order to defend herself and to try to scare him off, from what I understand. And rather than it scaring him away, he wasn't deterred at all. And so he went after her. And as he went after her, the knife pierced his chest. So a neighbor heard her screaming for help and came to her aid and together they notified the authorities. She went into action immediately. I also remember that from the first story, started life-saving measures. She was still performing life-saving measures when law enforcement arrived at the scene. He did die at the hospital. Some sources say that McCarter was transported to the hospital for, quote, extreme emotional distress. Reports also indicate that McCarter confided in the psychiatrist that she was concerned that Murray would kill her because in the past he had choked her. And then McCarter was arrested and held without bail. That's just, I remember being totally dumbfounded when I read that story. I just couldn't believe it. It just didn't make any sense. So in in the time of COVID-19, this initial outbreak, when they are trying to reduce the number of inmates because of COVID, of the spread. They chose to take a woman who had been in a relationship that involved domestic violence, 
who had defended herself against an attack in her own apartment and keep her in jail for six months. Keep her in prison. And from what I understand, uh, if I get this wrong, um, I'm going to make sure Ariel corrects me. She was in prison. I think I remember just the visual of that. I couldn't even believe it. And if you guys see, when you see this woman, she's she looked, I, I remember showing her, my, my, uh, my husband, her picture and going, does this look like the face of a killer, a cold-blooded killer? She's, she looks just adorable. I mean, it's so hard to imagine her in, in prison. So she was indicted for second degree murder. And then in September of 2020, though, because this is six months later, and then she was released to home confinement and electronic monitoring a couple of days later. Her attorneys filed several motions in 2021, including one motion to dismiss the indictment due to an omission that was made by the district attorney, Sarah Sullivan. So this is significant because the indictment didn't include Tracy's statement to law enforcement that Murray had attacked her. I, I don't know how you leave that out. It doesn't seem fair to me. I say all the time our criminal justice system is so flawed. This is a problem. I This is one of the problems. And then another motion was filed that argued that the report written by the responding officer was inaccurate and the error, error was corroborated by transcription of body cam footage. So they have body cam footage showing everything that was said. And so this report written by the officer didn't match up with the body cam footage. I don't know about you, but if you have a handwritten transcript of what's going on, or you can actually hear what's going on, I'm going to go with what I can actually hear. And so the report specified that Tracy admitted to stabbing Murray, but the body cam footage revealed that while the word stabbed was used several times by officers when speaking amongst themselves, Tracy never said the word stabbed. She never said that. And then at least three search warrant applications, Sarah Sullivan, the DA, included the officer statements that appeared to be a direct quote from Tracy from the uh, from the event. But so per the account documented by responding officers, McCarter allegedly admitted that she stabbed Murray in the chest when he attempted to take her purse. So in other words, they put that statement in there. And Sarah Sullivan included that statement as a direct quote from Tracy. And there was none, nothing like that was said by her. So her defense team argued that the statement included on the application was false. Her defense team inquired about the different wording submitted on the applications and were informed by Sullivan, Sarah Sullivan, again, district attorney, that she had to, quote, refresh the officer's memory. So when asked for a comment, Sullivan's response was was forwarded. She argued that since McCarter did not make the alleged statement at the time of the police interrogation, the prosecutor was not op, not obliged to introduce other facts that supported her defense. So Judge Melissa Jackson ruled that she upheld the validity of the search warrants, but she was still deciding on the motion to dismiss the indictment. Tracy's next court date is January 14th of 2022 that is right around the corner so it's worth noting that prosecutors can drop charges at their discretion at any time before trial 
and her legal team remains hopeful that Tracy will get the justice that she has not been shown thus far in the case. One thing that we have not mentioned so far is that I believe is significant is the fact that Tracy McCarter is black and her estranged husband, James Murray, is white. And many people believe that this had an influence. Whether it was on purpose or not, many people believe that somehow this played a part in the way the whole case has been handled from the very beginning. So at this time, we would like to welcome Tracy's daughter, Ariel, to the show. Ariel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. First of all, I want to make sure that we've gotten the facts straight about the case. Is there anything that we left out, need to change about what's transpired up to this point? No, I think you did a really good job of of really illustrating uh, what has happened from the incident to today. And I really just want to start by thanking you for allowing me to to come on the show to to really share an update and even just for the initial highlighting of of the case itself, because it, it does feel like a grave injustice. And it's, it's been just difficult to hear, I think, all of the facts of, of, of what has truly transpired here. And um, it, it feels like the more that sort of comes out, the more you realize that, that this just feels like a truly a grave injustice. It, it truly does. And I think what, what's most important about just the, the prosecution itself is that she's quite literally being punished for surviving an attack that that's really the the root of, of what's happening here. And, and just like you said, so she was released on electronic monitoring uh, back in September. Electronic monitoring is truly just another form of, of incarceration. So she's at home and she's able to continue to fight her case, but she's still incarcerated, realistically. And like you said, the DA's office has the power to drop charges at any stage of the case. And right now is truly critical because there's a new Manhattan DA taken office in January. And so this is truly um, uh, just a critical time uh, for us to continue to raise awareness and, and to, to make people aware of, of what's happening. And so we're, we are really hopeful that the incoming DA will do the right thing and drop the charges against her um, so that she can focus on, you know, healing from this traumatic experience. And it's almost like she was she was dealing with the domestic violence, and then she was, you know, uh, arrested and, and 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 imprisoned, and then she continued to be traumatized, and 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 there was more violence um, sort of uh, pushed upon her um, in going through that that system, um, and so it's it's just it's been really difficult to watch um, as her her oldest daughter. And, uh, you know, my, my younger sister had a, had a baby um, while she was actually incarcerated. Um, that was her first grandchild. And as a nurse, she couldn't be there. And I know that was really hard for her. And so it's just, you know, you, you have, have you ever heard the, the saying that uh, when, when somebody goes to jail or prison, the entire family goes to jail? Um, I never knew what that meant. I, I never could have had a, a better respect for what that truly meant until um, we've experienced this as a family and it being just something that I know that my mother is not capable of. And so uh, just we've been trying to do everything in our power to to help really just clear her name because I know that this is not something that she would, that she's capable of, that she would do purposefully. And so my mother is just is one of only uh, one of many black um, and other women of color who are criminalized and punished and incarcerated for surviving domestic violence, sexual and gender based violence. So most survivors don't view the criminal justice system as a viable option for safety. So like you were saying um, in the previous story, um, how, you know, she the woman, she sought help and 
She did not receive the help that she needs. And so because of that lack of response um, and lack of, of, of belief in, in that they will be believed and they will be helped, they don't even seek help from, you know, the criminal legal system. And that's that's truly unfortunate. So we really have to take a step back and look at um, how these systems operate. So when, when, when my mom did call the police, they arrested her. They didn't see her as the victim. And that's kind of just the reality of the, the system that we're, we're dealing with today. Another thing that I just wanted to share is, you know, for those who survive abuse, the criminal justice system serves as the next abuser in their lives. Jails and prisons don't protect people from violence. Uh, prisons themselves are sites of gender-based and sexual violence. So back shortly after she was um, incarcerated, it was during COVID, so they had actually canceled all in-person visits. They had sort of these virtual visits that you that you could do uh, with your with your loved ones, and so her and others at Rikers they were made to strip search before and after these visits. Um, so they didn't actually come in contact with anybody outside of, of the jail system, but they had to, to do to strip search before and after the visit. And my mother being who she is, she's, you know, she's like, this is not right. Logically, this doesn't make sense. So can you please just explain to me, you know, why we're having to go through this process? And so um, it got to a point where she refused to comply and understandably so. And in order to regain her access to those virtual visitations, she had to submit to strip searches. So, so there was a period of time where we couldn't see her at all. And while we don't, you know, physically live in New York City, that's our mother. And if, if, that, if we had to travel there to see her, we would have done that. And, but that, you know, that was not an option. And so it was really hard uh, going without seeing her. So eventually she actually just decided to you know, comply to go along with their process. She continued to fight the abusive practice, but in the meantime, she had to continue to do to, to do the strip search. And it took her fighting that policy and submitting to strip searches from May to till September to finally get the virtual visit strips uh, searches stopped. So she actually filed a complaint. Uh, in it just through whatever the, the the jail process is, so she filed a complaint, um, just that it was it was not it it just didn't seem right. And right before she was actually released to fight her case from home, she found out that she found out that uh, thanks to her complaint that she filed, that now no person in the jail complex would have to strip search for a virtual visit anymore. Um, so she's always been the type to 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 stand up for what's right and to stand up for herself. And so I can definitely see how. Even like, so even during COVID, one of the other things that just the nurse and her, the mother and her, um, so she was teaching uh, the other, um, the other uh, folks in the, in the jail how to properly sanitize, how to properly clean things so that they wouldn't spread COVID, you know, throughout the, throughout her, um, her unit. And so it's just another example of her just sort of being who she is um, and that just really carrying on uh, regardless of, regardless of where she's at and under whatever circumstances, um, and I just thought that was really important to share about her because I, I remember uh, being on the phone with her and, and her uh, telling me about, you know, what she's doing to keep safe inside because we were, you know, we were freaking out, you know, about how, how are they truly going to keep someone safe in that type of environment with this type of a virus. So it was just scary. And, and Ariel, I have a couple questions for you. Is your mom a resident of New York City? She is. She is. And, you know, Mayor-elect Eric Adams is taking office January 1st, 2022. And I'm wondering, has he ever mentioned the case either on the campaign trail or in any conversations with the media anywhere along the way? 
That's a good question. I don't believe so. My understanding is that the focus has truly been uh, primarily on the DA's office, just having that power to, you know, drop the drop the case if, if they so choose to. Um, so we've done a lot of really targeted sort of outreach um, there. Um, just, just, you know, obviously we'll do whatever we have to, we'll, you know, try to get in touch with um, and communicate with, with whomever we have to. Sure. Uh, but that's really been the focus so far. And, and who is the incoming DA? Uh, so his name is Alvin Bragg. Mm-hmm. And is he a black man or is he white? Uh, he is a black man, yes. Mm-hmm. He is a black man. And Eric Adams is the second African-American mayor of New York in history, I believe. Correct. Right. And then we have Governor Kathy Hochul. So there hasn't really been a lot of talk sort of in campaigns or anywhere in the political field about your mom's case per se. No, not specifically. So I know there, there's there been a little bit of talk just about uh, criminal, criminalized survivors mm-hmm. more broadly, but not specifically on her case, no. Yeah, I was just curious if, if any allies have have emerged, you know, during this past election year and, you know, coming into all these new people taking office. I was just curious if anyone had, you know, come up in the field who you could turn to. So it sounds like you've been doing some really important activism on the outside. Your mom's been doing her own activism you know, or she was within Rikers, you know, when she was incarcerated and now she's like, as you say, incarcerated at home. And the, and, and can I ask you a personal question? Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, you know, where, you know, this is holiday season and I'm just curious, how are, how are you doing and how's your family doing in general? Like we're in the middle of pandemic We're you know, through the second year, it's been an unusual time for everyone, but you've had this added stressor. And I'm just curious how you all are. I think like similarly to, to a lot of other families, we've definitely increased our family FaceTimes. So we, we probably get together three, four times a week just to all watch. My sister had her, her baby's still pretty, pretty new. She's, I think she's like 18 months now or something. And so we just watch her eat, <laughs> watch her eat and play and learn. And so I think we've, we've definitely increased um, our family time that way. Um, this has been tremendously difficult just because, um, you know, we're not a rich family. So I can't keep, you know, traveling to, to New York to visit her and she can't come see anybody else. And so her being constricted, you know, to just the, the borough itself is, is difficult. And I would say that it's going to be a hard Christmas before this all happened. We hadn't spent, even though we lived separately in separate states, we hadn't spent a holiday apart. We are, we're a very close-knit family. And so it is particularly difficult. I'm sorry. And I, I actually just found out that I'm expecting. Oh, congratulations. To, to, <laughs> thank you. So to, to even fathom my, you know, my mom not being able to, to be present, it would be devastating. I really hope that we're able to, to. Get get through this. I, I hope that the the incoming DA does do the right thing, and and just looks at the facts, you know, of the case. And so, uh, yeah. So that that's all I want for Christmas. <laughs> I just want my mom to to be free. Ariel, I'm really hopeful that that's going to happen. As I said earlier, there's so many aspects of this case that are very very frustrating. One of those is the fact that if you stop and think about the fact that she is black and he's white, did that play a role? I was telling my husband about the story. And when I got to, to the point where I said that, he said it, he kind of, he looked at me and he goes, was there something like what happened that d- is, what makes you think that, you know, like what, what evidence, you know, he was just wondering what 
was somebody like blatantly racist. And I said, okay, I don't know if there is, there may be some evidence of that, but stop and think about it this way. If the shoe were on the other foot and it was a black man who came over to his ex-wife's house who was white, well-educated, you know, upper middle class woman who he, he came over knocking on the door, comes in, she protects herself and in in the process of trying to get him to leave he is he is stabbed with a knife because she was just trying to protect herself no one would have even like i can't i don't care what evidence there is no one would ever fathom that she would have been arrested it's just and he and the look on his face was like oh yeah yeah that makes no sense it doesn't make sense anyway but you just you're just like this this is the injustice go it knows no bounds like it's just it needs to you know we you have to talk about the elephant in the room you can't just go well maybe that was just a coincidence because when mm-hmm. when you have issue after issue after issue after issue it it's, it stops being a coincidence and there's too many times when these things happen and we were talking about systemic problems earlier and I do believe it is a systemic problem and it a lot of times maybe is just a a matter of this is what we've always done or this is how we think we don't even realize we're thinking this way and so this stuff you have to talk about this or it won't change i mean you have to just be brave enough and courageous enough to discuss it to say what it is so that people can question it and go wait is there and then you know if you talk about the elephant in the room then maybe the next time something like this happens, somebody will in the back of their mind go, well, just hold on, you know, let's, let's attack this. Let's check our biases at the door. You know, let's recognize what our biases are. Cause I think that many of us have biases that we have no idea are in there. They're just in the back of our mind somewhere that there because of the way we were brought up, our surroundings, we're awesome, good people that love everybody and get along with everybody. And yet, there are biases. They're just naturally there. And if if we don't do something within the system to protect people from those biases, they're going to be victimized. And I do believe that that is what's happened here. I don't think there's any other explanation. It makes no sense that she would have been arrested. It just doesn't. Well, I also wanted to talk real briefly about Survived and Punished. It's a coalition that, um, Ariel, I think that you know a little bit about this coalition and so I wanted to bring awareness to it because your your mother is one of many people that this has happened to. And so this is a, an entire coalition, Survived and Punished, that there's a website and it's it's very organized. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what this is about? So Survived and Punished actually has been very instrumental in providing our family just support throughout this entire uh, case. And so they they reached out pretty early on to see what they could do to support, to, to provide support to us. They've been very respectful as far as boundaries, just, you know, what ways can we be helpful? What ways should we, you know, sort of make sure that we don't um, in, 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 uh, intrude upon, uh, you know, just private, um, anything that you want to keep private and that sort of thing. And so they've just been a, a, a pillar of support um, and also 
like I mentioned earlier, we hadn't pre- we have not previously been through this sort of ordeal um, in my family. And so understanding the legalese and it's a, it's a whole other language. And so them just making sure that we understand what's happening every step of the way. They've, they've really just been um, a group that has rallied around us uh, to make sure that, and they truly understand that the whole family is going through this together. Um, they've been really respectful um, and just really cognizant of, you know, that that this is this has to be sort of the support has to be however my mom can wants to receive the support whatever is useful and helpful to her um and and they so they really do uh, center um those most impacted and so that for me um that was really important it made me feel more comfortable about having them in this it just felt like a really private space. Nobody wants, you know, their family to be going through something like this. And so having folks around who are not a part of your family and, you know, in the Black culture, you know, truly it's what happens <laughs> behind these doors stays, you know, here. So to have something this public um, happen to to our family has been you know, it, it, it's just been like our world's kind of turned upside down. And so to have that, them um, as, as supportive as they have been and as respectful to the, to the processes and to the, to the just situation as they have been has been really, really important for us. That's really great to hear. And, and I know you also have a fundraiser. I found it when I Googled your mom. Um, it's Free Tracy McCarter. And it's on fundraiser, F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R.com, right? And it's fundraiser.com forward slash we stand with Tracy. Is that right? Yeah. So a lot of people have been asking, you know, how, how they can support, provide support at this time. And so we do have, you can follow our um, Facebook page. Um, it's Stand With Tracy um, on Facebook. Um, like you said, yeah. So we definitely have that fundraiser. You can also uh, donate or purchase um, some Stand With Tracy merchandise. We have some some sweatshirts, some hoodies, some stickers with the Stand With Tracy logo. It's uh, Stand With Tracy. It's Stand With T-R-A-C-Y dot com. And also there is a petition that we're circulating asking the Manhattan uh, District Attorney to drop the charges. So we're only about 300 signatures short of meeting that uh, petition goal. So that, yeah, that would be uh, pretty awesome if, if folks could support that as well. Oh, you guys, surely we can get uh, her over that. Uh, we can get 300 signatures and get her over that goal. And we definitely would love, uh, if you want to support Tracy and her family, please go to istandwithtracy.com. You know, the thing is that if this ho- ha- happens the way I'm hoping it's going to happen and, and this new district attorney is going to look at this and go, this is ridiculous, of course, we're not going through with this in January. That's what we all hope. Uh, is going to happen, that doesn't take away from what's happened to Tracy and her whole family and the turmoil that they've gone through. I know you heard the pain in Ariel's voice, and I can see it on her face, and it's I, it's gut-wrenching. And so I, they have been victimized. They're, make no mistake, they have been victimized here in this whole situation. So we have to do something to bring awareness to this so that it doesn't happen to someone else. It doesn't continue to happen to people. It will continue to happen to people. So uh, all we can do is just try to fight for people, bring awareness. If you guys know of another story like this, please reach out to me and let me know. We definitely want to lift voices up and let people be aware of the stuff that's going on and really put pressure 
on people like Sarah Sullivan so that hopefully they'll think twice before they do something like this. Someone who, you know, who knows? I, I believe in our criminal justice system to an extent, but I believe it needs some serious, it, it's, it needs a serious uh, overhaul. There are some major faults in our, our criminal justice system. And one of those is the fact that our district attorneys benefit from so many convictions it's to their you know they they benefit from that directly i've done quite a few stories about uh situations where there were wrongful convictions and the district attorney was just really needing another conviction and some of them not all of them just like in nursing there are good and there are bad mostly good i believe most people are good i really do believe that but there are people who put themselves over others and they will do whatever they have to do to claw their way to the top. And if that means arresting an innocent person who, who they really don't know if they're innocent or not, they really don't care. They'll do whatever they have to. If they can, they think they can get a conviction. That's wrong. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. That is just wrong. And we're dealing with this situation right now with this nurse in, in Nashville who is about to come to trial in March. I've got it on my calendar because I'm going to her. I'm going to her trial. She is facing a murder charge for making a med error. And this is, this is I'm sorry, but it, I, I know it's in my state, but it's, I believe that it's nothing more than the district attorney wanting that conviction and wanting that attention. It just makes no sense. So um, if we don't talk about it, if we don't, if we're not brave enough to speak up and do something about it, it's never gonna change. And make, it, it can happen to any one of us, any one of us. You get in the crosshairs of, of the criminal justice system, somebody needing to, I don't know, needing another notch in their belt, needing another conviction, needing another arrest, whatever. I think that any it could happen to any of us. It really could. Yeah, and thanks for keeping this front and center, Ariel. Yeah, many blessings on your baby and your family and your holidays and and your mom. Congratulations, Ariel, on on your pregnancy. Yeah. I know that's that's so exciting, and I know it's bittersweet, but I really believe that you're going to at least have some sort of closure from it and and start some the healing process. Thank you both. I appreciate you. Well, Keith, will you let everyone know where they can find you and your podcast? Sure. My podcast is the Nurse Keith Show. You can find it on any podcast app out there. There's gosh, way over 350 episodes. So there's, you know, you don't have to listen for too long to catch up. And nursekeith.com is the best place to find everything. And I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So please feel free to reach out. And you guys know you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. And you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse. And we're on social media also at goodnursebadnurse. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.